This week's episode begins with a little time travel. Picture this. It's roughly 1998. I'm eight years old and absolutely obsessed with both reading and all things American Girl. When the American Girl catalogs show up at my house every few months, I devour every last detail of them. I love my Samantha doll and the accessories I've been lucky enough to collect for her. My cat, Max, sits in a very small wicker chair across from Samantha in her wicker chair, and I serve them fake tea and conversation hearts on the small wicker table between them. I have an American Girl CD-ROM game with a theme song that is a major earworm. Book lover that I am, I am constantly checking in with my school librarian to see which American Girl books are available for checkout. I have all of the Samantha books at home, but I want to know what's happening with the other girls too, obviously. But here's the thing, and I couldn't be less proud to share this in such plain terms. I never read an Addie book. Nearly 25 years later, I see this fact for what it is, proof that as a white child living in a white community with plenty of fictional friends who looked like me to look to, I saw no need to seek out more diverse narratives. Back in the 90s, the adults in my life weren't seeing this as the problem it was, or encouraging me otherwise. Listeners, this is bad. In case you missed it, Addie Walker was the first black girl to join the American Girl family of historical dolls. We meet her in, of course, Meet Addie, a book written by Connie Porter that brings young readers who are more accustomed to Samantha's Victorian tea parties and Molly's victory garden into Addie's life as a slave in 1864. By the end of Meet Addie, Addie and her mother have escaped to Philadelphia, but only after watching Addie's father and brother sold off and being forced to leave her little sister behind so they can get to safety. The story of their escape is an amazing one, in which Addie shows so much bravery. But it doesn't make American Girl's decision to cast their first non-white doll as a slave any less complicated. We get into all of these complexities on today's episode. Today, you'll hear my guests and I discuss Meet Addie, but also Addie's origin story and the American Girl business more broadly. We talk about the importance of different kinds of representation for BIPOC folks, what the basic structure of Addie's series tells us about white privilege, the pressures imposed on girls and women of color to hide their feelings, the thoughts and prayers debate that we have today, and what American Girl and the Bachelor Diversity Campaign have in common. This is an extremely thoughtful, important episode, and I am grateful to my guest for being part of it. Ebony Liddell is an author and experienced marketing and publishing professional who just can't shut up about books. Born in Michigan, awoken at Howard University, and cultivated in Brooklyn, Ebony can usually be found searching for her next live concert, scouting the latest food craze to try, rocking out to Motown, or being the undisputed mom friend of any group. She co-hosted Why Not YA, a Beltrist and Epic Reads monthly video series where she interviewed authors in the young adult space. Ebony is the author of Love Radio, which you can find wherever books are sold. Follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Ebony Liddell. If you are new to the show, make sure you're following along with all things SSR on social media too. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. If you are interested in getting involved with a more active virtual book club, now is a great time to jump into SWR, or Shit We Read. This week, we start our August discussion about Olga Dies Dreaming by Zochi Gonzalez. Learn more and join us at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast, or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. When you join SWR as an SSR patron, you'll be supporting the podcast and getting a bunch of super cool exclusive rewards in return. Think monthly newsletters, reading recap videos, bonus episodes, an invite to our Discord channel. It's all good stuff. I would love to see you there. I'm so grateful for the patrons currently supporting SSR. It truly makes a huge difference in helping the show grow. You can also help the show grow with a five-star rating or review or by sharing a screenshot of this episode to your Instagram story. Fun news, I'm now partnering with Inkwell Threads to bring you 20% off on all kinds of bookish swag. I recently purchased a shirt from Inkwell Threads that says, read books and fight the patriarchy. It's soft and cute and makes a statement and I am generally obsessed with it. Shop the whole collection at www.inkwellthreads.com SSRPod or use code SSRPod at checkout to cash in on that 20% offer. 
Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is shit she read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Ebony. Welcome to SSR. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. I'm so happy you're here. So listeners, I have to, to tell you ahead of time that I'm feeling very guilty because I made Ebony turn off her air conditioning. <laughs> and that just feels, I feel like I'm already kind of ruining her day. So Ebony, like, I, I'm sorry. I hope that we can, I hope I can make it up to you over the course of this next hour. Don't apologize because you actually made me turn off my fan, not my AC. So I have already been trying to not be so attached to my AC unit during the summer um, and get adjusted to this DC weather. <laughs> okay, well, I feel a little bit less guilty as somebody who is extremely attached to their AC. It's very humid in Philadelphia, fun fact. Oh, yeah. um, but anyway, let's jump in. I'm super excited to have this conversation with you today. We're having an American Girl discussion today, we which are. is always something that our audience is very excited about. And we're talking about Meet Addie. I would love for you to get started, Ebony, by telling me a little bit about why this is the book that you wanted to read for your episode and also just share your history with this book and with American Girl more generally. Yeah, sure. So it's so interesting that this is like what you asked readers to bring in. And I really wanted to bring in a title that like was important to me, but also like, you know, I have conflicting feelings with and Meet Addie was the first book that came to mind. And I have not read this book in like, um, I don't want to age myself, but in some decades, (laughs) I was just curious, you know how there are like certain books or movies that you remember watching and loving. And then you're like, did this one age well? Like, I just want to know if it did or didn't. That's what I thought of for me, Addie, because this was the first book that I remember reading that I was like all into. I thought Addie was so courageous. She exhibited so much strength, but also this was at the time where I was starting to have conflicting emotions about all the books that I read that feature girls like me being slave narratives. And so I wanted to go back to it because, you know, I've convinced my mom to get me the doll and, you know, thinking about like all the other dolls and just like the whole American girl experience. I wanted to go back to it to see if I still had those feelings. And also I wanted to do some research to see like what was sort of the backstory behind it now that I've like, I've also worked in the publishing industry for over a decade. So yeah, this was like all the reasons why I wanted to read this book. I love that you shared that. And I too dug into the research. There's so much interesting stuff. And I have a feeling we ran across some of the same stuff. And I can't wait to talk about it with you. I think that it's important to note ahead of time a couple of of things. So the first thing is often in the episodes of this podcast, we, we try to stay sort of tunnel vision focused on the book itself. But I think with American Girl books in general, and we've talked about this on the other episodes we've done, I think we've done Meet Felicity and Meet Kirsten. American Girl is about like so much more than the book. Mm -hmm. Like any Mm -hmm. single character brings with it so. It's an entity, it has history. It's like commercial, Mm -hmm. commercialization. Like we can't just talk about the book. And especially with Addie, who was such like, as you mentioned, like an important and also polarizing addition to Mm -hmm. the American Girl universe. Like this is also like a 77 page book or something like that. It's pretty short. So we're probably not gonna be quite as book focused on this episode as we often are, which is exciting because it gives us a chance to pull in some different things. I also want to note ahead of time, because I think it's important to contribute this to the conversation that like, and I've talked about this in the podcast before, I am a white woman. I was raised in a very white suburb in Pennsylvania. I was a big American girl lover when Mm -hmm. I was a kid. I am not happy to say this, but I I never read any of the Addie books. Mm. That's important to say, yeah. It's important to say. Mm -hmm. I don't feel good saying it, but I think it's a really, it's hopefully a good starting point for this conversation because whether it's because, you know, none of the adults or librarians or caretakers in my life ever looked at me and said, oh, you're a reader. You've read through all of the other American Girl books because I had. 
here, why don't you read Meet Addie? Mm-hmm. Instead, they were like, here, why don't you read The Babysitter's yeah. Club? You know, like, mm-hmm. it just was never offered to me. Or I don't know if it was because I, as an eight-year-old, didn't see myself reflected on the mm-hmm. cover of this book. And so I thought that I'd go to something else. Regardless, I want to own that mm-hmm. and share that this is the first time that I have read a book from Addie's series. Uh, although I did know something about her just from researching for previous American Girl episodes. That's my experience with Addie, and it's limited, and that's a shame. I'm really happy that you brought that up because some of the research that I'm sure we'll both dig into talked about the makings of the Addie doll and why it was really important to have this, you know, we we talk about all the other dolls in the series, and I remember the same thing, like going into the stores and you see, like, this variety of uh, collection of dolls for white little girls and then I'm like okay Addie's my doll and it was like okay I'm happy to have Addie be my doll but like the point is is this doll their history with slavery and how the company um, behind the Me Addie doll felt it was necessary to make this a slave narrative when there could have been other historical moments like I read somewhere that they considered the Harlem Renaissance, which I was like, oh my God, that would have been so dope. Like, that is, I've always been like intrigued by the Harlem Renaissance. And the fact that they said, oh no, slavery is the way we should go because we can't talk about it without talking about the history of slavery. It's like, on the flip side, on one side, it's like, yes, we have been talking about that in discussions everywhere, how, you know, you know, erasing history for teenagers in schools because of the concerns that this might not make them feel comfortable. But however, on the flip side, if someone like yourself was never reading those stories, then who is it going to? It's going to little girls like me who only get the slave narrative stories in order to feel included, you know, in the conversation about American history. Oh, this conversation is so timely. <laughs> I don't care when the book was published. I'm so glad we're having it now. And as you say that, Ebony, like, I have to reflect on what I said before, which was this very, like, white-centric notion that I'm like, oh, I didn't see as an eight-year-old myself Mm -hmm. reflected on the cover of that Addie book. And I'm sorry, like, the fact that I said that and the fact that that was my experience as a kid is bullshit, quite frankly, because I would imagine that as a child of color who doesn't look like me Mm -hmm. going to a library, like, most books you're not seeing yourself reflected on. So, So for me to say that is, like... So that really shows, it's a tangible representation of the problem, which is that I'm like, oh, this one book from a series that I loved, Mm -hmm. I skipped because I didn't look like the girl on the cover. And you are talking about the fact that like Addie was the only one who was familiar to you and you only had one narrative to read about as a kid. And and the other crazy part about this is I read all of them. Addie was the one I kept going back to because I saw myself, but I read all of them. And like you talk about going to the library and the babysitter's club and Goosebumps. Like the amount of authors or just like readers of color that have been reading since they were little who can kind of share the same sentiments about like I'm just thinking of, you know, Leah Johnson, your episode with Leah Johnson and Sarah Dessen, you know, like we gravitated towards these books that centered white stories for all of our childhood because that was the only option we had and we loved them. And so why is it this we can't have the reverse effect? Why can't we have, you know, gatekeepers telling all children like no we all have to collectively read this book because it's an amazing book and no it might not be about your upbringing but it's about your homie you know what I mean John's Mm -hmm. upbringing and like that's important to talk about too like this is how we become better humans so it's it's interesting (laughs) yeah interesting so I want to go back to what you were saying before about the time in which this book is set and how Um, The Pleasant Company obviously made a choice to have Addie, the first non-white doll, be a slave. So I I would imagine, again, we probably found a lot of the same think pieces. I will link all of them in the show notes, listeners, because there's a lot of good stuff out there. And I probably could have read for hours and hours and hours on end. But I pulled a couple of pieces that I thought were especially interesting. So this is a piece from Slate called The Making of an American Girl. And it was published in 2016. And it really digs in to the history of Addie. It was written because in 2016, the Pleasant Company, or I guess Mattel at that point, debuted a new doll named Melody Ellison, who is a black doll. Her books or her story was set in 1963 in Detroit. And so the the author of this piece thought that it was a good time to kind of like go back in time and consider the history of non-white dolls in the American Girl universe. And one thing that I noted to your point earlier, Ebony, um, is this, 
this quote that says, though the board also discussed placing her in other periods, including the Harlem Renaissance, the members thinking was that slavery was the foundation for everything that came after it and must be tackled first in order for children to understand more recent history. Talk to me, talk um, to me. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about like, it must be tackled first in order to talk about the rest of the history because I'm thinking of my childhood and, and it's probably not the case now, but like, and I can't speak for every black household, right? My mother <laughs> made me watch Roots when I was little. And for anyone that does not know what Roots is, it is sort of this, it's a very long movie, just kind of showing the history of slavery it's based on the book, all this stuff. And I, I did not want to watch that movie at all, like at all. Like I fought her hard on it, but she's like, you got to know your history. And so I do think that there is a sense of, you know, as a black community, I have ties to the South. My mother's side of the family is from the South. The, the history is it's present in your daily lives. Like my grandparents, you know, were not necessarily big readers, but they were storytellers. Like everybody was, you know, everybody told the stories of our lineage in some way, shape or form. And so I know the history. I know enough of the history where it should be taught also is in schools, you know, like where it should be taught are the places where we're actually, you know, putting our tax dollars behind so that everybody can know this country's history. But it was interesting that this is supposed to be a book for a black child and that they're saying, no, we have to make slavery the foundation, which when you're talking about that article, the other interesting part was they felt like because it was like direct mail catalogs, Addie was, or the American Girl, and this is the the business person of me, the business side of me, like wanting to know all of the information. Of course. Their thinking was like, you know, typically like middle class black consumers are not purchasing from direct male catalog so there was always this thinking like well black books aren't going to sell <laughs> they're not going to sell in the store they're not going to sell in direct mail catalog so if we're going to do this we need to put a narrative that is going to be you know something that everybody can read and not necessarily like if we're thinking about just like we're thinking about you know the white girls who are getting these books and having these different experiences are we thinking about the black girls in the same way? Are we giving them a story that is empowering outside of escaping slavery? You know, that can kind of help them as they move through life. So I don't know, all that stuff to me, it, it was just, I was very conflicted because it's on the one hand, you feel like the history should be told. Um, on the other hand, it's like, well, but for this, like, who is this actually for? Like, who, who do you want this? Who do you want to read this? Who do you want to consume it? Who do you want to be inspired by it? Like, how do you market it? I don't know. It's, there's, it's not, you know, it's very gray, right? Yeah, it's very gray. And I'm also thinking like, if the argument that this has to be the narrative for the first black doll in the American Girl lineup is that like, oh, we need to show the origins of black culture in the US. Like, I don't know, maybe we should go even further back and let, if, like, if we're going to be harsh about it, like, if this is really about telling the truth and tracing back all the way to when all of this mm -hmm. started, like, I don't want to be, you know, this is going to sound wild, but, like, maybe we talk about the start of the transatlantic slave trade, Pleasant Company, like, if that's really what the excuse mm -hmm. is or the reasoning, mm -hmm. and you're clearly not shying away from the brutalities mm -hmm. of what it means to be a black person in America because this book is pretty brutal and graphic for young readers. Like, why didn't we go back further? I don't understand. I'll never forget the first time I read about Addie, you know, finding out her dad and brother were being traded, like sold. And Addie ran to her dad and he was on the floor and she hugs him and they say like the whip hit her back. And I was about her age, you know, when I read that. And I'm just thinking to myself like, oh my God, like, all she wanted to do was hug her father goodbye. And, you know, I'm I'm a very much a daddy's girl and I was very emotional about it. And I'm just like, and she gets beat, like to the point where blood is showing. Like it just, and I can't remember if blood was showing at that part, but they did talk about her brother getting whipped till the blood on his back was shown. And so this is like, this is the book for me. This is the book that is supposed to be like the doll that I carry around with pride and, you know, I'm happy about. and. It's like this book that has this very intense, very sad, like, story behind it, you know? Yeah. Oh, I have so many things that I want to say. So many, like, little nuggets that are coming up from when I was reading these articles. So 
you were talking about the commercial, the business side of all of this and how Pleasant Roland, the founder of American Girl, I'm assuming we read the same quote where she basically is like, I always wanted to have a night, a non-white doll in mm-hmm. the original lineup, but like, you know how it is, <laughs> you know how money is. And I, you know, we don't know that that's true. We don't know that it's not true. But it made me think of, I don't know how um, engaged you are in like the reality TV world, but I've paid pretty close attention over the last couple of years to the pressures finally being put on producers of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette in particular to cast black leads. Not only that, but to make sure that the people working behind the camera are representative of different experiences. And the producers of those shows literally say the exact same thing as Pleasant Roland in the early 90s. Like, this was happening in 1992, 1993, and now, almost 30 years later, we have, like, the exact same people in positions of power saying, like, you know what, we really, like, love to have a Black Bachelor, but, like, I just don't know that the Black people are, like, watching The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, maybe that's because Black viewers aren't seeing themselves represented. Like, it's such a chicken or an egg mm-hmm. issue and question, and I just think it's important to note that, like, these are the exact same excuses and dialogues that are being used always no matter what the medium is i completely agree so i have i'm not i've like i've been one of those viewers i've been in and out of watching the bachelor for that very reason because i'm like this is i'm not seeing myself at all and it's i don't think people really understand when you always see yourself how exhausting it is when every facet of your life does not include someone that looks like you you know like you walk into a space, you walk into work, and, and, and no one is, like, no one really looks like you. No one in positions of power are like you. You come home, you turn on something entertaining, and no one looks like you. We just want to be included. Like, that's really what the, the, the short answer to it is. It's like, we just want to be included in all of this. And so, of course, people are going to say, like, well, I deal with this at work, and I deal with this here, and, you know, I have to be worried about walking down the street, and, like, I have all these things that I deal with on a daily Like, I just want to come home and enjoy something that is a celebration of me, too. Like, why can't I be celebrated? And it's funny that you say that because I think it's the small details when we talk about um, representation. When you said the people behind the camera, it's just as important. Like, I think of my role as a marketer in publishing versus now me being an author. Having those people on the inside that understand your lived experience does wonders for what they can also bring. You know, it's not about including people and and not including others. It's about just making sure we have a healthy representation all around so that when you talk about a marketing plan or how you pitch a a piece in publicity or even the, you know, editorial copy for a book, all of those things show like the whole experience here as an artist. And so um, it's one of the reasons why, I mean, a big reason why I wrote Love Radio, I actually just wrote a piece for Cosmo that was like, I couldn't find a love story I needed as a black girl, so I wrote one. And I'm just talking about similar things, how I'm reading all these love stories. I'm like, I'm reading my mom's Fabio novels and I'm like, like watching all, you know, 10 things I hate about you and she's all that. And like all these rom-coms that never show a teenage girl that looks like me, that's not like the side character. Like, why can't I have a wonderful, epic, grand love story? Why can't I fall in love? And it just looks just like the movies, you know? And so it, it is crazy because I, I do think that those conversations then, like you said, are still be ha- being had now. And like, why? <laughs> you know, why are we? So- it's the parallel is crazy. It's like eerie, you know? Yeah, it, it feels just like a loop. Mm-hmm. And I say that as a white person who's on the outside of it. So I can only imagine like being on the inside and feeling continuously like underrepresented and then talked about must be just so infuriating. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so analogous to like the people behind the camera on a reality TV show, I think is this like advisory board mm-hmm. that American Girl put together for this book and for the release of the Addie doll. And I want to make sure we talk about that because this had never been done before when they decided that they were going to finally roll out Addie and finally have a non-white doll, they decided that they needed to have some experts. So they put together this sort of power team of people who were experts in African-American history. They pretty much, I think, all came from like various African-American history museums around the country. And 
departments of history in different colleges and universities around the country. One was Howard. I just have to put that out there. <laughs> shout out. Shout out to your alma mater. Yep. I did see that. Um, and I do think they were mostly women, which I was happy to see. What do you think about that move on their part? I did think that that was pretty cool. Yeah, so I think this is the complicated part about me, Addie, in that the story was actually um, for as gruesome as it was and hard as it was, and it was it was done well. It was done as well as it could be. And that was the part where even when I was rereading it, because I re- reread it, and then I had to, like, obviously do research afterwards to see, like, if there was any information about it. And I was like, oh, this is why. Like, this is why. There was care put into the story, and I'm just like, okay, who is the author? Like, I, I had to look this up because I'm like, this, it, it doesn't feel as bad as I thought it was going to be. And so just reading about this, I don't know, just reading about what they did and having kind of like this group of people come in and, and advise on it, I think it showed like how important this was. But I also think the the interesting part was after, it was like after the decision was made. You know, these group of advisors weren't able to come in and them say, what kind of a doll do you think we should create? And I think when we talk about like a seat at the table, table, like having letting BIPOC people have a seat at the table, this is what we're talking about, like not decisions being made. And then you bring Ebony in afterwards and say, okay, how do we shape this? It's like, Ebony, what, what, what do you guys want to see? What do you want to see? And like letting us run free with that. And so I, I was thinking about that too, like, you know, they went deep into, you know, some of the things that, you know, they fought back and forth about, um, even the illustrator kind of talking about colorism and how that was a, a source of, of conflict or it was, it was a bit of a conflict between them. And I'm just like, I mean, but we, we can't talk about like house slaves and, and field slaves. Like we're not, you know, like we can't talk about why that was the case. Why? Because that makes you feel uncomfortable because that's going to make a certain group of teenagers feel uncomfortable, but this is part of the history, right? So if you're saying we should go there, then we should fully go there. But that's, you know, that's a whole nother discussion. But yeah, I, I, I found that to be great that they did it. And I also still was like, and what would have happened if they just let them be able to choose or like pick what other parts of our history could have been reflected in these novels. Yeah, or perhaps hire more people of color in-house. That was my next house. one. Yeah, that was my next <laughs> So that you don't have to bring in an advisory board? Yeah. Just a thought. I don't know. That's always the... That was what I was saying beforehand, and yet that is not nearly always the case even today in publishing's landscape, unfortunately. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, I applaud The Pleasant Company yeah. for recognizing the fact that they were whitewashed, and I wonder if there were any steps taken beyond starting an advisory board, sort of, I don't know, in tandem with the publication of the Addy books to also recruit more BIPOC folks so that the entire company was more representative of the kind of American girl that they wanted to represent. So, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean... I will, I will say to that, and then we'll probably should move on because I might get a little too... No, uh, go for it. I think it boils down to people coming into these positions with positions of power have autonomy. You know, like they're able to actually make decisions. And at the end of the day, the people who wanted to make the decisions made the decision. They never wanted to change Addy to be anything different. They wanted a slave doll. You know, like they, mm-hmm. that's what they wanted. That was what they decided on. They felt like that was the best decision and having more people in-house to, you know, come in and kind of counter their what they feel like is the right choice. As we could even see in the article, it created a lot of clashing. And why does it create clashing? Because it's also having to reckon with the fact that, like, if we're going to show this, we have to show this accurately. And so I think that's always, when we talk about capitalism, when we talk about everything, that's always the sore spot is coming in and making changes that are going to require you to check your own privilege and how you've been affected by, I don't know, these systems and benefited from them is a part of the larger problem here. You know, like having to confront colorism within slavery means having to confront the fact that like your ancestors were a part of this. And we're not talking about that. We're just talking about a book. But for some reason, that always creates this tension. So yeah, those are my thoughts on that. Well, I want to make sure that you don't have any other thoughts kind of on this 
Addy decision on the publishing side of it more broadly because I do think we can move into a more targeted conversation about Addy, but this is a really important conversation and I know that you bring to this conversation a lot of your own experience as well as all this research. So if there are other things that you found striking, I want to make sure we talk about them. I mean, I do think the what's striking uh, now, which I haven't read, uh, but I really want to, especially because I, I remember how, I mean, I was an adult, but I remember how psyched I was to find out that they um, had the, what is it, Melanie? Melody or Melody? Yes. So there was Cecile, who was the Harlem Renaissance doll, who I believe... No, Cecile was the New Orleans doll. Okay, right, yeah. New Orleans. Yeah. And then, right, they never actually followed through with the Harlem yeah. Renaissance doll, which I agree, like, I would like to see that someday. So Cecile was the New Orleans doll, and she came and went pretty quickly. And then Melody was 2016. Yeah, and she's based on, um, based on a doll in Detroit. So I... I am excited to, I didn't really get a chance to do um, research on her, but, or also, or read her book, but I am interested. I'm very curious to see what they did uh, with that down direction. But yeah, I mean, outside of that, the only thing, other thing I would say, the board of advisors, and we were talking about, because this kind of goes into Addie, and we can, you know, talk more about that, the descriptions of the doll. Like, I read in that article that they wanted to make sure Addie, you know, her teeth were more reflective of like how African-American children's teeth are. I had a gap when I was growing up. And so having a doll that had those little small details, um, I thought was really beautiful and important. Yeah, it is interesting because in any in any sort of exploration of an American Girl book, you also naturally have to talk about the doll because these products go hand in hand. And in these pieces that I'll link in the show notes listeners, there's a lot of reflections about the Addie doll and what she meant to people beyond just her story. And I, I'll know, I'll say like, I had a lot of ignorance about like the history of black dolls in this country and how problematic they have been Mm -hmm. and how to have a doll like, like Addie in this very like mainstream company. It was a big deal. And to have her, created in a thoughtful way Mm -hmm. and like you said ebony like for her to exist in a way that like feels familiar to kids there's a lot that i didn't know and so listeners if like me there are a lot of things about this that you don't know i would encourage you to go read the articles and get educated because there's so much more to all of this than the 77 pages in the addy book and there's a beautiful essay that i read about how addy really helped this one writer like come to terms with her hair and oh, the way yeah. that she felt different yeah. from the people in her community and how initially she like loved her Addie doll and then she was sensitive to the way that her mom was talking about Addie's hair and I just things that I quite frankly would not have thought of and because I didn't have an Addie doll I didn't know that her hair was such a big deal yeah it was I mean as you can see my hair is curly right now um Addie doll that was the first doll that I had whose hair was just like not bone straight it was my texture and I think the like the the small details of that is Mattel or Pleasant Company or whoever all of these companies probably feel like oh but what are they gonna what are they gonna do with their hair and it's like yeah and guess what I got my Addie doll and I knew exactly what to do to her hair you know to like make it in the way that I wanted it to be and I read that article too about that girl and um what she was saying, how her mother made her feel self-conscious about it. And it is interesting how many black girls, Afro-Latina girls that I know who grew up where their parents initially were a bit jarred by the fact that they wanted to wear their hair curly or wear fro or wear locks because they had been conditioned to learn that in order to succeed in corporate America, you had to straighten your hair, you know? And so like her she's dealing with the complications of her mother in this article but it's like where did her mother get that information from like you know what I mean what did she internalize to make her child feel like oh this doll is is you know her hair should be straight she should have a perm um so yeah very it like brought a lot of emotions uh back when I read that article because I'm like yo this this stuff goes deep yeah listeners read these articles please I'm gonna link them for you I will link them in the Instagram stories this week too. I'll make it easy. Go check them out because they're really well written and really important. So let's talk about Addie. Yeah, let's talk about Addie. (laughs) So this book begins in 1864. Addie is nine. And I think, you know, listeners by now have a good sense of like the storyline that we're going to see with Addie. But I wanted to read a couple of quotes from some of these think pieces that I think 
give us a little bit more context for like why it matters that this is the, the storyline that um, readers were handed for Addie. So in this article in Salon, which was called We Were American Girls, What Addie Taught Me About Black Hair, Freedom, and Myself, which was written by Ashley Clark. I think that was the one that I referenced a few minutes ago. Ashley writes, unlike the tales of her white series, Sisters, Addie's story was steeped in tragedy. She was a slave when I met her, a piece of property that belonged to Master Stevens, a white man illustrated with a thick mustache and grimace at the beginning of Meet Addie. The other American girls had their hardships, and every girl was in a struggle to find herself and become an independent young woman apart from the people who raised her. But the white American girls' fights for freedom were figurative. Addie's fight was literal. Addie was enslaved, only three-fifths an American girl. For Addie's adventures to begin, she had to risk her life for a chance at freedom. Stakes that Felicity, Kirsten, Samantha, and Molly would never understand. Without her tragedy, Addie wouldn't have even been an American girl. And I, I, okay, so this is how I was thinking about that. So each, each doll gets five books, right? Like there's the meat at, the meat blank, and then there's somebody saves the day, like somebody's birthday. Mm -hmm. There's these like sort of, there's a formula to how these books work. And I think what that quote really shows us and reminds us is that one-fifth of Addie's sort of formulaic cycle within this universe is taken away from her because in order to even get to that first like adventure as an American girl and I think even to go that far is unfair because I haven't read the second book in the series but I have a feeling that Addie isn't starting on equal footing with a Samantha or a Kirsten in book two Mm -hmm. just because she's and I'm doing quotes here free Mm -hmm we're taking away like a fifth of her experience within this series before she can even have one of those adventures that the other girls get to start out with initially. And yes, like the other American girls like do face other hardships. We have the Great Depression. There's Samantha whose parents die when she's very young. Like it's not to say, of course, that these girls don't face other challenges. But I think it really is like white privilege at its core and the way I've come to understand it over these last few years in particular of learning and listening, which is that like Addie was just always starting like a full book behind. Like this is a very tangible, this shows you on in a page count. Like you can see she's a full book behind everybody else in order to even get to that first American Girl adventure. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of, um, and I'm going to butcher this, but you know, go with me, <laughs> the video... Um, it was like some video that was going around trying to show the hurdles that African-Americans face through like, I think it was like running or something like that. And it was like a teacher was teaching, like showing the kids by saying like, okay, you take like seven steps up, you take 12 steps up, you take like two steps back. Like this is basically what it takes for someone of color to, or a black person to be able to get close to where you are in terms of like your privileges and the benefits that you have in life. And we are dealing with a nine-year-old girl who was a piece of property. Like, she was not considered human. So she had to fight that first and be free in order to just begin her childhood. And obviously, she didn't have a childhood, you know, like, when we really talk about it. Because, I, I mean, it's been a year since I've read it. But I, if, I'm, if I'm thinking correctly, the next book, they get to Philly, and they're, like, they just became free. So, like... They're trying to make it, you know, they're in a tiny apartment. They're barely able to find work. They're dealing with segregate, like all the things that you, she doesn't just, she doesn't get to be able to just move to Philly, move in a big house. Her family is all together. She can have a great party. <laughs> you know, like that's right, She's not, not eating like she's steak no, and soft pretzels. No, she's like not even really getting a cake. Like, you know, like that's, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. So like, I don't know. I just... It, it was kind of crazy to me, like, when I say, like, the, something about the books, like, I like them, but then it also never felt right, because I'm just like, what about, like, my experience in today's time? You know, like, everything that I read about overcoming or trying to find, you know, some sense of understanding of the world around me or, like, what I can do to be brave or be tough or be resilient or, you know, just be a teenage girl, like, I'm finding through all these slave books, you know, that's the only way that I feel like it's fed to me, and when I don't want to read them, because I've had, I remember growing up, and even me, like, sometimes there were books that 
we were told to kind of like roots or whatever as an example well i just didn't want to read them like and they were books by people who like were uh, like with the same background as me but i'm just like i'm just tired of reading the same book like i just want to go to i don't know the i want to go on a roller coaster like i want to read a book where someone goes on a roller coaster like or goes to the mall or just like does a normal thing that i like to do as a teenager and those were all the always all the books that i had i'm gonna divert us for a second and i'm gonna put you on the spot with a publishing and author question Mm -hmm. so we talked about melody we talked about cecile we talked about the harlem renaissance doll that never was and obviously we're talking about the fact that Addie is like one more of these many slave narratives that you were handed when you were a kid and that we all continue to hear now. What do you think is the sort of historical doll that you would have wanted to read about or get to know when you were a kid? Or, or what's the doll that you would pitch now? I'd have to think about that one. Now it's, yeah. That's not something I would know immediately because I, I would want to be sensitive to a lot of things. But yeah. like using what they had as an example... I really would have loved to see a Harlem Renaissance style. Like, I think activism is something that is very present in, I think, like, all of us right now. Like, we're all trying to be some form of activist in order to make this country, like, less horrible. And I do think that sometimes when I am feeling a bit defeated by everything, I do look to the women in my line, for instance, in my family, who I knew were strong and who I knew dealt with a lot more than I ever had and still were somehow able to push through and make it so that I could be here. And that, to me, is very affirming. But there are not a lot of stories that talk about the women in my family. And I don't know, maybe it's like, maybe I have to write it. And and that's, you know, one of the things that I'm beginning to realize. But I, I do think like having more of the story set in those times would be beautiful because also there was like, I'm just thinking of women who were coming into their freedom and their sexuality and just saying, screw, screw it all at that time. And like making waves by just saying, screw it, I'm going to do me. And so I would have loved to have read that sooner so that I could have had, you know, that confidence sooner to say, I'm just going to create the art I want to make. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I want to be me like, and not feel the pressures of like going into corporate America and trying to assimilate in some way so that, you know, I can move up into on the corporate ladder and just all the stuff that you do as a black woman trying to find a career that we're beginning to unlearn is not necessary at all. Well, I feel like we just, we needed a doll that had five books of action and not maybe four books of action and one full book of... Yeah, I feel like if I remember correctly, like in the series, the last book was probably like the sigh, you know? like she gets one book. Like something normal happens that is not like detrimental to her life. (laughs) She gets one book. Okay, listeners, if you wanted to understand why this is a problem, I think we just laid it out for you. I get one book to everybody else's five books. And if anybody, I haven't read it recently, so uh, if someone's like, no, she gets two, I mean, which is still hilarious, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) Let's not defend that. (laughs) (laughs) We're not here defending that. Um, So Addie is nine. She overhears her parents talking about running away. And it's interesting because her parents kind of come at this from two different perspectives. Her dad is ready to like leave in the middle of the night. He wants to go now. And her mom is feeling like, oh, maybe things are actually about to get better. Like, let's just wait it out. It seems unsafe. And I really appreciate about all of the American Girl books that I've read recently, the fact that like, these books don't shy away from details that I think other books might consider like too adult for young readers. Like even the fact that the parents are talking about the financial realities of the time, which is that like the dad is anticipating that their owner is going to be selling slaves to neighboring plantations because of the economic situation. Like that's probably not something that a lot of other authors or franchises were sharing with kids at that time. And so I think that's the first in a long line of harsh realities that we are fed in this book. But ultimately, they do decide not to run away that night. They're going to wait it out. And I, as an adult, was like so I had, I had so much empathy for Addie's mom for so many reasons, but especially because it's literally like the next day 
that her husband and her son are sold. Mm -hmm. And if she had run away that night, that wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't have gotten that scene that you described earlier, Ebony, where Addie sees her brother shackled and chained in a wagon and where she sees her father also shackled and chained on the ground and then is whipped for trying to hug him. Like just one decision like that, Mm -hmm. because her mom is trying to be safe and take care of her family leads to something completely unimaginable. And also, like, you're right. Like, it's it's thinking about the whole family dynamic being broken up because she has a, a, a baby sister named Esther and her mom, after the, the father and the son are taken away, now they're having to run away, like, that night and they can't bring Esther because the mom says, like, if your father was here, it would have been a lot easier, but I can't carry her all night. Her mom doesn't know how to swim and she almost drowns. Like, she... She made the right the choice in that decision, I mean, that moment, I mean, but, like, it costs, like, half of their family. And so they have to now just go, two women, <laughs> two women having to run away and fend for themselves in a, a place they've never been and hope that, like, the information the father gave them is correct and lost half of their family just from, like, a, a decision in one night. And just how unfair that is to have to make those decisions when as a mother you are you know a caregiver you're just trying to make sure that everybody is safe and so I remember reading that scene and rereading that scene and and understanding and recognizing both sides and like you can't help I mean this is what books do right they make you more empathetic so you can't help but put yourself in that situation like if it was me what would I have done and I don't know if I know the answer to that and that's the part that's so devastating you know is that like any answer could completely change the the trajectory of your life and also like what would have happened if the brother and son went with them you know like what if someone was killed while they were heading up like you just don't know so that was such a heartbreaking scene and I agree like I can't imagine what the mom was going through but I think it also was what like set a fire under her because she's like I can't I can't lose the rest of my family, which is just, you know, devastating. There were a few other themes and through lines that came up, especially in the early part of this book that, again, felt so timely to me. And I wanted to make sure I brought them up. The first of which is this conversation between Addie and her parents about the importance of of hiding her feelings. Mm-hmm. And Addie like asks her parents, like, don't you cry? Like, why aren't you ever upset? And they're like, oh no, you know, it's a, we keep them on the inside. And even at the end of the book, when, spoiler alert, Addie and her mom make it to their destination and they're going to get to go to Philadelphia, her mom says like, oh, your father would be so proud of you for keeping your feelings on the inside. And so much of, of what I've read over the last couple of years in the way of narratives written by BIPOC folks, especially women, is about this pattern, this like generational pattern of like black women being expected to like always be resilient and never show their emotions and that being celebrated. And so I was picking up on that in this book. I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. Oh yeah, most definitely. And it, it's interesting because it is taught from a very early age. It's funny because when I wrote Love Radio and I wrote Danny's character, so it's Love Radio is a, a YA romance. It's about two teenagers, Danielle and Prince. And I had Danielle's character in mind. And I knew I wanted Danielle to be sort of this black teenage girl who, like, immediately on the page, you might not love. And I did that on purpose because Danielle was dealing with her own stuff and she's trying to deal with her emotions and she doesn't know how and she doesn't have all the resources for it. And, you know, she has very loving but traditional parents who her father would tell her, oh, just pray it away. You know, like this is how you deal with your emotions. And she's like, no, but this is not fair. And so I wrote Prince as a character who was like so much more fun and on the page and everybody loves him. But like I wrote him that way because he is ruling Danielle. And Danielle to me is always the main person I'm thinking about. And I thought about her because I thought about all the ways in which black girls can't just be black girls. Like we can't be too angry because we'll look like the angry black woman. We can't be too emotional because we'll look weak. We can't be too loud. We can't be too this. And like, why are there all these society, like societal pressures about what we can and cannot? Why can't we just be like, I just want to be myself. Like, 
And that should be enough because I am able to see so many other women be able to be themselves. And so that was a really good example of how we're conditioned. I was taught, you know, keep your head up high, stay strong, like don't let them see you crack. And part of it is, you know, you're having to exhibit strength in a, a world that doesn't see you in a certain way. And so you're constantly fighting against that um, every step of the way. But it doesn't mean it sucks. And, it, and I, I do hope that we're getting to a point where we are not asking our, our black teenage girls to, you know, be a certain way in order to be accepted. We're allowing them to be because I think that's when you get the best version of them. You know, like I feel more like myself now than I did before COVID because I was able to be at home and just be myself, you know, like I was able to sit in emotions that I had. I was able to process things in a way that I had never been able to process it before. I didn't have to deal with all these microaggressions in like the work setting. Like all I had to do was just do my work. And so I just think about all teenage girls who, if they're able to just be themselves. And so I do think there was beauty in Addie running to her father and crying and, you know, she got in trouble for it, but that was what she wanted. She wanted to be able to hug her dad one last time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know? Um, and it's just, it's sad that she couldn't even do it without getting in trouble for it. But that's just kind of why she was taught to hold your emotions in. The other conversation that struck me just kind of through a 2022 lens, and I think also speaks to what you were just saying, Ebony, is the dialogue between Addie and her mom about love and hate and Addie asks her mom if she hates white people and her mom is like no I don't hate white people like I don't want you to hate anybody hate just makes you a bad person and Addie is like well I hate them and it made me think of this whole like thing of like thoughts and prayers Mm -hmm. that we talk about now Mm -hmm. which is like and and thankfully there is this pushback now against like that's not gonna work like we have to get mad and we have to do things and I think that is a parallel to this whole like love and hate conversation like I don't I want to say that we can live in a like it's nice to think that we can live in a world where we don't need to have hatred and anger to affect change and that love can really be the answer and like thoughts and prayers can make it better but I do think that this debate if you will is still going on and that like I don't I don't know that loving everybody is going to be the way it's just not that simple. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it also speaks to generational uh, change and how this is one of the reasons why I love writing for YA because YA demands that we do better in how we see the world, how we view the world and, and what we put on the page. Because I do think Addie is an example of like a, a young person who has been out in the streets who are fighting for our rights, who's tired of, you know, going to school and being afraid. And so they're channeling that fear and that anger into trying to get action and demanding that of all of us. And I I, kind of love this push and pull between Addie and her mom and saying like, okay, that's fine. If you feel that way, you feel like love is going to conquer all, but like, also, what are we going to do about right now? You know, like, what are we going to do to affect some real change? I'm I'm happy that they put that in the book because I think that those dynamics are always present. I, I think that like, regardless of your background, we're all having conversations with our parents, just different types of conversations maybe, but we're all having conversations about with our parents about how their thoughts and views on something whether it's religious beliefs or whether it's, you know, cultural beliefs or whether it's whatever it is, like not everything we believe is okay. And you got to be able to, you know, be okay with challenging what you think is okay based off of what you knew. um, If you want to be a better person, you know, Um, especially when we deal with dynamics too, where someone feels like, you know, they're being targeted for whatever reason. Um, Not especially, but I think for me, even in talking with like my family, you know, obviously we deal with racism, but if we're not talking about the other things that they do that could potentially be a problem that are not helping society, like that's not going to make things better too. So I think it's important for all of us to challenge all of our parents, all of our grandparents, all of these norms that they think are acceptable Um, and challenge them and ask them why they feel that way. And hopefully we all can, I think that when, when we talk about, or when we think of her mother and like you were saying, thoughts and prayers, 
yes, hopefully one day we can say that and we don't have to worry about a shooting the next day because we also have gun reform. You know, like that's what I think that conversation is a perfect example of. Yeah, I think looking at it through an intergenerational lens is really a great point. Addie does get to be the hero a couple of times in the book, which is really fun. She saves her mom from drowning in a river. She wanders. Well, she doesn't wander. She walks <laughs> into a Confederate camp because she thinks that these are friends. And she manages to find her way out. She yeah. keeps her cool. Makes really and she really, yeah, she makes a quick decision. She's a, She's very fast on her feet. Like, she knows how to make things work when she's in a bad situation. And she ultimately is the one who, like, physically leads her mom to Miss Caroline's house. And Miss Caroline is the woman who ultimately, like, helps them leave mm-hmm. North Carolina. So I loved that Addie got to shine as the hero. Ebony, on the whole, I can't wait to hear what you think in light of your reading experience, in light of this conversation that we've had. How do you weigh all of these things about this experience that you've had more recently with Meet Addie? Like, how does this book hold up? How does it disappoint you? What do you think? I don't think I have an answer for it still, which is crazy. I thought I would by the end of all this. I do value and am thankful for the fact that even though, okay, yes, they should have had more people on the inside of color. Yes, there's a lot of, they shouldn't have written a slavery, but yes, like there are all these things that we can talk about. I do value that there was care put into the book. Like that to me is important. And I, I, I do feel that this book still can be important in that it is showing, I read something in, an, in one of the articles that said like, this was the first book about slavery that I remember as a, a black teenage girl and a black teen, yeah, a black teenage, or black girl, sorry, I'm saying teenage girl. And that was what she went used as part of like creating, I think a paper on slavery or something like that. And I, I can say that I agree. I feel like it was the first story that showed slavery in a way to me that was like a bit humanizing that and, and then talking about like World of Thunder here in my car when I'm, when I'm thinking of certain, these certain stories. And I do feel like they showed Addie in a way where that was courageous. Like when you talked about her mother and how she basically helped her mom like go to the front door and knock and like finally get the help they needed. To me, that felt like she was channeling her father in the beginning where he said we should go and her mom was fearful. Addie was the one who kind of like took that lesson and said, no, mom, like we have to be the ones to like, we can't be afraid anymore. You know, we, we came this far, we can't be afraid. And so I, I felt like I saw, you know, in those like little pages as a nine year old, I saw her grow and facing fears. And like you said, like being quick on her feet every single time, like she didn't allow like whatever was happening to dictate what happened to her. I remember I was like, my, I was holding my breath when her mother went under the water the first time I read it because I was like, oh no, like, did she lose her? I, I mean, it was really devastating when you think about it, but I was like, oh no, she gonna lose her mother. And then, you know, you see this little girl push past her fear and she finds a way to help her mother. And I just like breathe a sigh of relief. And I think in my head, I was like, I would have done the same thing, you know? And so there's something very beautiful and like, having a nine-year-old read this book and say like I'm gonna face all my fears because like Jesus if Addie could do it you know like and she had everything up against like the wall like I can face this little fear so for that I really do appreciate it because I think that's when I got what I got out of it when I was little but yeah do I think that like there could have been other ways in which this could have been handled maybe we could have seen more stories that rolled out after Addie so that we had a more, you know, a, a, a more diverse representation of blackness, just like we have with the white American girl dolls. Absolutely. But I am thankful based off of what they were able to do with the story. I'm thankful for what they did with the story, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And thank you so much for diving into this conversation with me. I think we probably could have it for a few more hours <laughs> and maybe we will at another time. Other than Meet Addie, Ebony, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners? So I would say Deep in Providence was a book that I was able to finish um, within the last month or so. I've been traveling a lot and also just trying to write and stuff. So it makes it a little difficult to read a whole bunch. But uh, Reese Nelson, that is sort of a mystery 
about two, uh, three girls who they lose their best friend and they're, tr they're having a hard time dealing with the death of their friend. And so they use magic to try to bring her back, but it's sort of, it's dark magic. It, it really reminds me of just like a diverse cast of like the craft. And so I, I, I love that story and I can't say too much because then that would give it away. But it's another story that really shows like a uh, biracial kid set in Rhode Island. Rhode Island is a character in itself. Just a very like, she puts a lot in that story, but I love the cultural references of magic when we talk about the cultures that kind of show as a through line throughout the story. I thought she did that very beautifully. So that's a good one. Um, since I wrote a book about Detroit, like another book that came out about Detroit that came out literally the day my book came out was Boys Come First um, by Aaron Foley. And it is about three um, gay men living in Detroit and three gay black men and that's pretty revolutionary because I have yet to see a story about three gay black men set in in my city just because that's not really it's not normal and so um it's a very beautiful story about them just trying to date and dealing with a, a city that you know they have grown up with grown up in their whole life and the gentrification of it and um yeah so those would probably be like two that I've really um, dug in the last couple months. Well, I will include links to both of those in the show notes for this episode. And Ebony, you've talked a little bit about your book, Love Radio, which is now available wherever books are sold, but especially at independent bookstores. What else can you tell us about it and uh, maybe what inspired it? Sure. So a lot of this, what we talked about, <laughs> inspired it. Um, I just wanted to... I grew up like talking about the romance books and movies that I watched that didn't center me. I also thought about the ones that did. And so there were a lot of like black romances of the 90s and 2000s, especially movies that I watched and loved. And so the ones like Love and Basketball and also Look Out of Groove Back, Wayne Sex Hell and all these movies that probably a little bit too old for me, but like I used to watch them with my mother all the time well my family really not just my mother and so I wanted to pay homage to those stories because I felt like they were really beautiful representations of black love and I felt like I there weren't enough stories that showed that in in YA literature there are definitely stories that have come out but I just feel like and again when we talk about Addie being an example of just the slave narrative but it would have been nice to have an array of stories that showed the black experience I feel like the same thing can be applied here. So that was my motivation for writing Love Radio. I love the romances of that era, and I love like the slow build to it, how natural it felt, how they were set in cities that I knew and loved. Like Love Jones is one of my favorite movies, and it also was set in Chicago, so it was a Midwest story. And so those type of stories inspired me to write Love Radio. Um, it is about Danielle who is an aspiring writer, um, wants to get out of Detroit. She kind of dealt with something a bit jarring that she's trying to kind of wrap her head around and also dealing with like a friendship breakup. And then Prince, who is a local Detroit DJ, he gives love advice, kind of sucks at love in, in, in his own life. And him and Danielle, they, he spots her at a library and he's had a crush on her for, since like middle school and finally convinces her to go on three dates with him. And you know, things happen. So it was fun writing the dates because a lot of the dates are kind of paying homage to the city of Detroit. It was fun just writing this like enemies to lovers type story. One of my friends calls the meat cute a meat burn, which I <laughs> love to say. <laughs> and yeah, and just like I wanted to show a story where it's it is a love story, but it's also a love of family. You're seeing the family dynamics and how that influences the way both characters love. You're seeing the love of a city. Detroit typically gets a bad rep in media. And I wanted to just show the positive beats to a city that I grew up in and just love for yourself, you know, like showing that you got to deal with your own stuff in order to be a good person for another person and how so many people let their trauma influence or like kind of. I would say a lot of people are, because it's very much Prince in the story, who's like, I have stuff going on in the background. It's a lot, but I just want to get at this girl. And it's like, yeah, but you also have to 
deal with and manage whatever you have going on in your life before you can be better for a, a person. So that is the story. Well, listeners, go grab a copy at the link in the show notes and over on Instagram this week. Ebony, I really appreciate you chatting with me today. It was so nice spending this time together, and I hope we stay in touch. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, too. Bye. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.